the humanitarian community has no capacity to oversee or access the areas where people are fleeing to or fleeing from, uh, it makes it really difficult for us to assure the international protection uh, rights that these uh, beneficiaries are entitled to. Uh, again, you have two warring parties that uh, are going at it for, for their own reasons. We are not privy, we are neutral, but we still do not have access. We've been advocating for humanitarian access to be able to support these beneficiaries and lack of humanitarian aid makes them even more at risk and more uh, vulnerable to whatever situation they find themselves in in the different locations where the displacement is happening. And we've been hearing about some horrific abuses, widespread rights violations in, in places across the country. So Darfur, Kordofan, and even the capital Khartoum still going on. Have you been receiving these reports as well? We have been receiving these reports. Uh, again, as I said, it's difficult for us to to get there, to, to bring the necessary support to these uh, victims due to the fact that access remains one of the key issues and advocacy points for the humanitarian community in, in Sudan. Uh, we need more access uh, and more secure access for humanitarian actors, which for now still remains one of the biggest issues in Sudan. Now, the situation is obviously very dangerous for UN workers, as you said, that you have these huge access problems. We're getting reports as well of loaded trucks full of aid that can't move because the fighting is so fierce. Drivers of those trucks being beaten, extorted for money, aid workers detained or killed. So in those kind of very dangerous situations, do you still have people on the ground? Are they able to achieve anything at all or is it just too dangerous? Uh, for now, some areas uh, we don't have people because it's too dangerous. Others, I think, uh, as you follow the progress in Sudan, uh, the humanitarian space is shrinking due to access. Uh, just recently, the conflict uh, reached uh, the Al Jazeera state and the White Nile state, which meant that humanitarian actors had to move out, had to be evacuated out of those localities, meaning reducing more access to beneficiaries that are in need of our support. Uh, going back to your question on the trucks, yes, access to those areas remains an impediment due to either uh, restriction from uh, governing bodies or restriction due to insecurity where truck drivers do not feel secure going into some of those localities to deliver the aid. So there's a, there's a barrage of uh, issues around access not that prevent some of this aid from being delivered to the places it needs to get to. And have any staff from your particular agency, the UN Migration Agency, been affected? Uh, we've been affected. Uh, unfortunately, I think uh, at the onset of the crisis, we did lose one staff. Uh, but uh, for the for the example of the Al Jazeera state, we had to move our staff out because of security concerns. Uh, the same thing with the White Nile state, we had to move our staff out because of security concerns. Now we're regrouping around the eastern offices that we have in Kasala, Gadaref, and Port Sudan. Uh, but for how long, we don't know. Uh, again, RSF has mentioned on the media and pages that they're making their way east and uh, towards Port Sudan as well. So it's only a, a matter of time. We do not know what uh, the next two weeks, the next two months, we don't know how quickly they will advance, but we remain in a precarious situation where we're not sure uh, in the next two weeks will we still be here to deliver aid because both sides, despite agreeing during the Jeddah talks on humanitarian access, 
they're still not delivering on that. And this is one of the key points that we've been pushing and hindered humanitarian access to people who are affected by the conflict. Right. So you were evacuated from the capital Khartoum, which is where the UN country team was before the fighting, out east to Port Sudan, which is where you are now. But you're saying that even there by the Red Sea, you're not necessarily safe. So can you foresee a situation where you may have to evacuate from Port Sudan? Uh, again, we're playing with scenarios on likelihoods of what can happen if RSF makes a push north. Uh, RSF being the, the party which is fighting with the government. Yes, exactly. For now, uh, we, the situation in Port Sudan remains relatively stable and calm, but it is uh, probably a false calm because we're not sure of what is happening in the dynamics in the, in the city, but around the city as well. So we remain vigilant, uh, but anything, as I said, it can shift from one side and we find ourselves on, uh, again in a similar situation as Khartoum, where we have to flee the town. Well, one of our colleagues based in New York actually moved to uh, work with the mission in Sudan, and it was just before the attacks began, the fighting began nine months ago, and she was telling us about what it was like for her to come under fire and be part of the, the uh, be evacuated from Khartoum to Port Sudan. Uh, you weren't yourself in the country, I think, uh, on on the day that happened. But can you tell us what it was like for your colleagues in Khartoum? Just just how bad was it? Uh, I think it's it's a situation you would not want to find yourself in. Uh, again, uh, chaotic uh, bullets fly, flying all all over around, unable to move, uh, constantly. Uh, seeking shelter under objects, under furniture in the house, in, in corners, hoping that uh, no stray bullet can come through the window. Again, everybody did not expect Khartoum would be would bear the brunt of the fighting. And so the necessary measures in, of security in Khartoum are not there. And this makes it uh, a very scary, especially for those who had family in Khartoum with their children, it, it is a nightmare that no one would want to live or even wish it upon others uh, it, because you're not sure what can happen in the next five minutes, in the next 10 minutes. And I remember we were trying to coordinate for our staff to get to the gathering sites for, uh, to coordinate the evacuation. Even that was a difficulty to get staff from point A to point B in Khartoum, in, in even the relatively calm areas because of the number of checkpoints, be it the Rapid Support Forces checkpoints or be it the government checkpoints, which again, at the onset of the crisis, nobody is really sure how well uh, those checkpoints are manned, how well the people will react to the staff trying to cross those checkpoints. So it was a situation of uh, confusion, I would say. Uh, and if you mix that with the fear and the uncertainty of what is happening, it is, uh, it is not a good situation to be in. And now at your temporary base, you, the UN Migration Agency, all the other agencies and bodies of the UN in Port Sudan, must be very frustrating for you not being able to to offer the help that you want. And and for all of you out there, what is morale like? Is it frustrated? Are you are you hopeful for the future? What's the feeling like there? Um, again, as you said, we stayed behind to deliver and. Uh... It is a bit frustrating when you do not have access. We have the capacity, but we do not have access to the people who are in need of that support. If, uh, at times, that does become frustrating, but then we do have pockets of hope when we manage to do, for example, the cross-border 
support from Chad into Darfur, uh, again, allowing us to deliver some of that vital humanitarian aid that is needed uh, in some of those key areas that you mentioned earlier, Darfur, uh, Kordofans, Khartoum. Um, but it still remains a challenge, uh, and we hope with more advocacy, with more negotiations ongoing, that uh, greater access, greater humanitarian access can be granted to the humanitarian community at large. Well, we're hoping that the situation improves for you and the people of Sudan. And uh, if things change, we will be back in touch with you. Peter, thank you very much.